This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 104 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss Tommy Lee Wallace's 1990 miniseries, It. Okay, so I think the question on everyone's minds, I think we're going to talk about that right at, right here at the top. Let's talk mm-hmm. about Tim Curry as Pennywise. I okay. want to know just what you thought from the get-go. Uh, wow. Yeah, hit me with the big question. Uh, so I'm going to preface my statements a little bit by saying, uh, this is, this miniseries I know is beloved by people. This was a primetime audience that you could just watch on ABC and people were able to watch this kind of horror. And I think it was, it was almost traumatizing. It was, it was so beyond what you could see normally on this kind of television. And so I think this really holds a special sort of like nostalgic slash that like early childhood fear that is so linked to what it is that I think it's really appropriate, right, that, that we have this old version that a lot of people look back on fondly. All that being said, and like with all due respect, I didn't, I don't know, I just wasn't really that frightened by it. Um, I think maybe my familiarity with the material is affecting that. Also, it felt sanitized um, from what we get in the book, which is a much darker, gorier, more adult version of this story. So all that being said, I, I liked Tim Curry as Pennywise. I, I, he was working with limitations that obviously Skarsgård doesn't have these days with, with modern technology. And he brings a lot to the performance in a fairly small amount of screen time. So I would say uh, I, I, I recognize what people love about it. I think it was good. But for me, it, it just doesn't land as some sort of iconic thing that I'm going to look back on and go, oh, my God, can you can you believe how Tim Curry was as Pennywise? It just doesn't it didn't hit me that way. Now, I'm really curious. Did did do you disagree with that? Do you did you find something different in it? I do disagree, actually. Yeah. OK. Uh, okay. I, I That's was probably shocked. good. <laughs> I was shocked at how. Uh, how much I liked his performance. I think that ultimately okay. was what it came down to. I was like, like you said, limitations. It's a, it's a, you know, television movie or miniseries. So it's the 1990s technology wise. Uh, I was just really surprised at how genuinely like creepy, like, uh, it, you know, it reminds me of like somebody preying on children. It's maybe not as scary and, and otherworldly and monstrous as something we get in the book, but there is something really creepy about the clown that preys on children and the way that he does it, and even the Georgie scene, the early Georgie scene, I was really, really happy with. Um, but I do also say, like, recognize that it's a different type of performance than something like Bill Skarsgård. I, I think I prefer the Bill Skarsgård Pennywise, but I'm, I think that the performance is is easily my favorite part of of this miniseries. Yeah, well, I agree with that too. I mean, this was 
in a lot there's a lot of cheese in this miniseries. Um, I think they really tried to make it sort of like easily consumable for large audiences in the night you know 1990 yeah so it's it's not going to be as dark as is some of the like horror movies we're getting of the time you know it's it's this is a this is a silver screen kind of kind of deal so i think you have to keep that in perspective when you're comparing that to a rated r you know big budget film that we're getting these days i was surprised at you were just kind of talking about it but the broad and um very over-the-top performances that we were getting in this because I yeah. was expecting, uh, there's just not a lot of subtlety, especially in the in the adult characters. I would say, the adults are yep. like really going for it in a in a major way, and I feel like there was there was maybe some direction to be given to be like let's let's bring it in a little bit. I think people, you know, <laughs> don't don't think that audiences won't be able to follow you unless you're shouting your feelings and and like ex- emoting in such like extreme ways. Anyway, so I wanted to talk about how. This was very, it's not very nostalgic for people. It was a big deal for the time. Um, part one, when it when it aired, was the fifth highest rated program on Sunday, November 18th, with an 18.5 rating and watched in 17.5 million households. Part two, the second highest rated program on Tuesday, November 20th, with a 20.6 rating and watched in 19.2 million households. Wow. How about that? So that's a big deal. And you can see like the first part really brought people in as well. Like there was that word of mouth that was going around and people were really into this. Well, I remember because like, you know, I was born in 85 and I remember people talking about this when I was a little kid and it was like it was a little bit too advanced for me. So I think I was shielded from it a little bit. Like people, we weren't like, you got to see this. I was a little bit young. But I remember like, you know, even when I was getting into elementary school, people would talk about it and it was like in hushed tones because it was this crazy thing and some people were referring to the book because some people got their hands on the book at an early age and read it but i think a lot of people were referring to this miniseries and how terrifying it was and and tim curry was the stuff of nightmares and i can see all of that you know what i mean and and i i guess it's like it's like i'm of two minds because i have like my modern perspective of someone who's read the books uh two times now and seen the seen the film and uh the new film and then now seeing this and so I'm, i feel like i'm very steeped in it um, I even went back and I started listening to our old episodes again. Uh, I mentioned this earlier to you. I, I listened to, I think, like three of our early episodes, and I, I plan to continue the series uh, until I've I listened to the first six episodes we ever did, um, all in prep of, of It Chapter 2 coming out, which which we should talk about. I'm very excited for, and I know you probably are too. Yeah, I can't wait. I have also been listening. I've only listened to our first episode so far, but I plan to listen mm-hmm. to the rest of our coverage to kind of refresh and just to, you know, I, I'm, I'm really nostalgic for us of two years ago talking about <laughs> it. And I don't know. It's, it's really funny to hear, hear us in those, in those early episodes. Yeah. I mean, nostalgic's the right way to put it. It's weird because it was, it, I guess it was only two years ago, but in other ways, like it was two years ago and it was the start of this podcast and those, those episodes definitely, there's like a rawness to them that I appreciate. Um, a lot of us not really knowing how to do the thing that we're trying to do and we're just learning on the fly and you can kind of hear that in the episodes and yeah um it's it's kind of fascinating to me to go back and listen to it for that reason yeah and i think we've both gained some confidence with like um 
articulating and, and like really, really drilling down to what we want to say. In those early yeah. episodes, we were, we were, like you said, we were raw. Well, that's to be expected. It was our first time ever doing it. <laughs> yeah, there's something nice about it. So yeah, fun to go back to. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's funny. So if you think about how that parallels the story of it. <laughs> We have our early years, right, where we're we're innocent and we're we're being faced with the huge prospect of podcasting, and now we're returning two years later to face it again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> well, speaking of parallels and and Pennywise potentially, you, you know, us returning to battle uh, when we during our first project uh, yeah. <laughs> way back in in twenty seventeen. Right as we were starting the podcast, as we were, I believe I was editing the fifth episode or the film episode. I believe it was the fifth episode, though. Um, a hurricane was hitting Florida, where yeah. I was, where I was in Orlando. We moved into a hotel room so that because uh, my girlfriend works in a hotel, so she she has to work during the storm. So I was editing in a hotel room, and wouldn't you know it, two years later, and that was right as the first it film was coming out, chapter one. Wouldn't you know yeah. it, two years later, it chapter two is coming around and I'm back in a hotel room. There's there's another hurricane coming around. Is it Pennywise or is it just does it just happen to be September in, in Florida? Yeah. That I th- I think you even recorded an episode from the hotel. I might be wrong about that, but I have some vague memory of that even happening. So that that's kind of spooky, honestly, that, that would that would come full full circle like that. The year in between, the year that we didn't cover it, there was no hurricane that hit Florida. So <laughs> there you go. I think it's I think it's Pennywise like trying to stop us, trying to trying to put fear into us. We have to talk a little bit. I know this is we're covering the miniseries here, but like, where are you at with chapter two and your excitement level and like watching trailers and all that? I mean, I I haven't watched a trailer since the one that you and I watched together on our Patreon episode. On our Patreon yeah. episode. Other than that, um, I mean, I'm just getting excited. I'm starting to see like interviews with the cast and things like that that they start to do for yeah. promotional material, and just. I mean, revisiting this stuff and watching the miniseries now, I'm like, how are we going to get a massive, crazy, weird spider? Yeah, I think I think looking at how they did the first movie, I would suspect they're probably going to do some sort of like hint or homage or like nod in the direction of a spider. And then they're going to do something different because that's kind of how they did everything here. What would you do if there was like a hint homage to the actual like a frame of this film of (laughs) of this spider in that film? Well, I'd lose it. <laughs> I don't think it'd be a good idea, but I think it'd be funny. Um, yeah, I, you know, just for, for my where I'm at, which it chapter two is, I'm realizing that uh, I really do, I can't tell if I'm actually going to be able to be fully objective watching this movie because subjectively, like, I feel such nostalgia for this project. I I am so excited to see it again. Um, whenever I see the trailers uh in the theater like i think i saw an imax recently it's it just looks so amazing like the sound is so good when i hear it it just makes me happy it's such a weird project to have that feeling towards because it's so like dark childhood trauma based film and uh book but i just do and and i'm so excited for it and i I think i'm gonna love it um i think it, it i love the idea of like a very long it's i think it's well over two hours film that uh, when you combine that with the first one, it's going to actually, in total runtime, be longer than this miniseries was. Um, I don't know. I'm just really, I'm really excited for it. This miniseries has got some length to it. This miniseries yeah. is like three hours, and and it feels it sometimes. Yeah, that's true. 
So let's shift focus back towards the miniseries here. Um, we have a cast of children that um, I, I, I don't know. I feel like historically on this podcast, I've said that children performers can be very hit or miss. And it, it's like you can tell that they're learning how to act still and often things will kind of fall flat as I think it's really demands a special touch from like the director in order to get the performances that you need and, and, and being able to recognize when it's not working and maybe change the scene to make it work or whatever you got to do. And I felt like that was kind of lacking in this film, as much as you were talking about the adults, not, uh, not across the board, not every, every, everywhere, but like uh, Bill, I I just didn't think his performance was particularly convincing. Um, it seemed like a kid who was putting on a stutter for the for the camera, um, which obviously he is. But like it, you know, the acting is all about the illusion and, and convincing you. And it just I wasn't convinced. Um, and that kind of held true with a lot of the characters. Um, so overall, I don't know. Do you want to talk about like how the how these children compared to our children actors that we get in the film? We do have a young Seth Green, which I should shout out. In the new <laughs> film, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Seth Green, when I saw him, I was like, holy shit, he's in this? That's, that's so weird. Uh, it is it weird. I had no yeah. idea. I had no idea. And then, the, and then the adult he supposedly grows into is funny because like, it looks nothing like Seth Green now. <laughs> yeah. I think the best way for me to describe this stuff, like comparing, comparing the children, comparing we haven't seen the adults yet in the new one in part two, so we can't really compare that yet. But just overall, yeah. I think that this, fi- although there is, I-, I had fun watching it, it's very clearly like, it kind of missed the mark in terms of like adapting Stephen King's work. I think that like the, ch- the child actors, although at some points are like raw, like you would like a child actor to be, in, in some ways just like didn't completely didn't work things felt really forced like you're saying a lot of the time but i have to say Any particular when, moments that you would give an example of that every time he said hi ho silver i was like this is so <laughs> cringy stop saying it it just doesn't and yeah. some things just don't come off the page right and i think that that has to do with like the person who's adapting it but there are also times when you need to tweak things to make it more adaptable we've talked about that a ton on this podcast you're totally right, man, and, and and that's I think like a really key observation for adaptation because in 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 most ways this miniseries is actually more accurate or more faithful to the book. Now it omits and it sanitizes a lot, but as far as like what actually is on screen, most of it is right out of the novel. And what you what you just mentioned, like sometimes it doesn't make the jump from page to screen that well, and sometimes it needs to be it needs to be reimagined. Yeah, but I do have to say that when those kids were together, there were moments of like almost like a stand by me feeling like when they're throwing the rocks together and standing up to Henry Bowers, I felt was actually like a pretty solid moment for that film for this miniseries because it just it was I would say a highlight in in this miniseries. And and I thought that the kids worked much better than the the adults. The adults to me were just like the guy who played Bill was like completely miscast in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that little ponytail and (laughs) he had quite a look to him. The, The reveal of that ponytail, by the way, was one of the most shocking moments of this entire film <laughs> he like he like enters the room we see him from the front he enters the room and sits down and like into frame comes the ponytail i was like whoa <laughs> i mean it was a look it was a choice yeah there's a lot of mullets and, and things like that in this as well so <laughs> yeah uh i think as far as the adults go i think uh, adult ben hanscom is is one of the is one of the better i think that's um yeah john ritter right john ritter yeah i think that was one of the better adult performances um and it led to one of my favorite 
absolute favorite scenes in the entire miniseries, which is the moment where he is uh, making out with adult Beverly and thinks that she has recognized the poem for what it is. And then all of a sudden he realizes he has uh, like makeup on his face and then you see the clown legs and then he pulls back and it's Pennywise. And like, that's my, probably my favorite moment of Pennywise from this entire miniseries. So good. So surprising. Um, And then just like that sort of stomach churning moment of like, he's been making out with this, you know, elder God demon that (laughs) is in the spider, Uh, you know, which they leave out a lot of that from the, from the movie, but we know from the books, that's, that's what's going on. Something else I just like uh, in doing research and and prepping for this episode, something else I totally forgot about was that Pennywise in terms of like what we find out, Pennywise was pregnant. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I remember some smashing some eggs in the book, right? Yeah, so it's like, so that's something else that I didn't even think about was that like, there was that kind of like lingering thing, like, w- is there a continu- is there another going to be another Pennywise, another demon thing spawned from, from, from this one? Yeah, you're right. I, I think if I had gotten to our fifth episodes, I, I would have been re- more reminded of that. But yeah, that is something that I wonder if we'll see a resurfacing of that in the, in the new film. That's something to keep an eye out for. Yeah. So, so yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Pennywise because I think we were we were so into the like micro moment to moment in those early chapters that I don't know how often maybe we did I don't know how often we were able to step back and really talk about Pennywise as a monster as a villain as the antagonist for this story and um, I just want to get your thoughts on it I, I I have some stuff I've been thinking about um, how how do you feel like Pennywise fits into what Stephen King is trying to say about childhood and, and and everything else in in this in this book and in this in this miniseries. I mean, overall, I I I always found the idea of Pennywise to be preying on fear and specifically like the fear um, giving him his power was was something that I really liked. And then in terms of like what it means to the children and and like what he represents maybe as like a force. If you know if there wasn't a monster, what does Pennywise? represent to these children it's like maybe growing up and like the fear of of the unknown and the fear of because he is the unknown you know what i mean they're they're afraid of something they can't comprehend and so maybe that idea of like growing up and becoming adults and forgetting where you came from forgetting your childhood forgetting all of these things because of growing up i think it's i think it's a lot of that a lot of like being built in like what what made you what you are today and like kind of um, not forgetting those kinds of things and not forgetting the lessons and maybe not being afraid going forward of, of the unknown. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's to look at it in a positive light. But if you flip that on its head and like not being able to escape <laughs> the, 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 the childhood traumas and and having to still wrestle with it as an adult. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he represents. Yeah. I mean, I want to dial into that a little more. I, I think you're I think you're right on it there. But Pennywise is a clown as his like main form. Like he obviously can take other forms and he can do other things. But that that's his go to form and i think it's interesting to think about why that is so when you're a child i remember the first like i i don't know the first moment but i have like a vague memory of like the first time i was around a clown and it flipped from being there's like a moment where it flips from being like oh this is a cool like lovable figure to i just realized that this is a man and he has makeup on and he's like he's acting in a way that is clearly not real. He's like putting on an act. Yeah. And now all of a sudden I'm creeped out. Right. And there's that like that moment. It's like a chill moment that you get when you see that. And that only if 
really works on you as a child where you're still able to believe that there is such a thing as a as a clown or as a Santa Claus or as you know what I mean like some sort of supernatural figure that is just going to make you balloons and and be fun and as a kid like the first moment that where that happens is terrifying I'm thinking of there's like a YouTube video where there's these kids who there's like an Easter bunny coming out of the out of the car and they're like oh here comes the Easter bunny kids and then you look at the Easter bunny it's got some like really bizarre looking costume and then all of a sudden the kids go that's not the Easter bunny and they start screaming and <laughs> running around it's like this viral video right yeah and that's like that moment I feel like all kids have with clowns at some point in their life where they realize that there's like this clown isn't like quote unquote a clown it's a person and it's creepy and so that he embodies that moment in like everything he does. Like he looks on the surface, like something fun. You maybe, <laughs> but you know that underneath it's something much darker. And it's also unknown. Like you said, cause their, their face is covered and you can't see their real face. So in that sense, like a, a clown is the perfect, um, symbol for that idea. And the idea I think is also clearly linked to, we talked about this a lot in our coverage, childhood like all the kids are faced with extremely adult um problems and they are not given the help they need because the adults look at them and think they they shouldn't be dealing with those problems so the adults like to or like the adults want to pretend like they aren't they don't have to deal with it and that is embodied through like early childhood sexuality um the violence that they are subject to bullying in the form of Henry, henry bowers and uh, Henry Bowers, once again, the book version is a way darker, more sadistic and terrifying figure than he is in the miniseries. In the miniseries, I felt like he was kind of laughable at times. They There's even like, they kind of are able to get the best of him a lot and they call him like the Three Stooges and he kind of feels like that. And he doesn't actually cut Ben. I don't know, there's just like certain things that were, were kind of scrubbed clean for, the, for it that, that uh, makes him less of a threat. But if you go back to the book, he is truly dark and truly scary. And all of that wrapped up into a metaphor that is larger than all of the, all of those combined parts is Pennywise, because he is like the ultimate childhood bully, too. The idea that children are faced with this creature is something that is so far beyond what they should be having to deal with at that age. And, uh, and the, the, you know, noticeably the adults don't even recognize it. They often don't even see Pennywise's effect, much like... Adults are often blind to childhood trauma. And so, I don't know, just the more I was thinking about that, the more it's like it all lines up, and I think it's really masterfully done and, and specifically chosen by King. And I think that's one of the reasons that we see Pennywise as like this iconic horror villain that is like lasting. And then, of course, you take that to the adulthood, too, of like, and I'm really going to be curious to see how they deal with this in the in the chapter two of the idea of like, okay, if that's childhood trauma you don't escape it and it's still part of you as an adult. And in fact, sometimes it rears its head again and you have to deal with it head on. And that's what we're going to see in chapter two. So I think it all holds up and it all works. It all works well. Yeah. Do you remember any, I'm just thinking of like Pennywise and like what it means for like Stephen King's like macroverse and everything that goes on from there. Um, Do you, do you draw anything with that? Like what, what do you think of like this, like being that's so, large and looming what is it that like i mean i guess we've talked about it's the fear of children and it's so tasty and that's what he wants 
what do you think it means? Like, what what does it represent beyond that? Like, is there anything like larger than than maybe like the the goings on of like each individual person? Like something bigger than that? He seems like a like an id sort of like in a psychology t- point of view. Like he's like an id run wild. Like he has he's hungry. He has all these like urges. He needs attention. He needs uh, people to you know be afraid of him, and he's sort of uh, in that sense like just like a runaway child himself. And and I know that's a point that's been made elsewhere um, that that Pennywise is sort of a a childlike figure, even though he's this elder god. And I think that's true in a lot of ways. And it's because when you look at children when they're young, like they often have no impulse control. And that's why you see sometimes bullying can be so scary. It's because they don't realize the harm they can cause. Because a lot of the times when you're a child, you haven't developed empathy yet. And if you look at all of that, like that's kind of Pennywise in a nutshell. Like he is the elder god version of that. Like he doesn't view people as something that to empathize with. They're just objects to him. And, or I should say it. And... Yeah, I think I think in the Elder God sense, I don't know about the Macroverse stuff because I haven't read like Dark Tower. I haven't read a lot of these um, novels that delve more deeply into it. The only thing I can think of is that as a standalone issue, uh, childhood trauma is not something new. And maybe it's taken on new guises, uh, you know, in the modern world. But like that's been going on forever. And in fact, was probably much worse, uh, you know, throughout history. And so I think it's interesting to think about that as you look at Pennywise throughout throughout time and how we hear stories of the black spot and and the settlers going disappearing and all this stuff like it's really bad and like the axe murders in the book and like um I think it's interesting to think of like this god that's been around for ever and and causing these problems because in a way like childhood trauma has always been a part of life and it's always been really really serious yeah, I I, I don't be, know if that answers be, your question. <laughs> no, no, I think I think that's definitely touching on it. Um, I'm gonna be interested to see like what they are able to because I feel like as as much as I love the new adaptation as well, I don't think they really went into some of the like, uh, you know, some of that bigger, larger, um, right, whatever supernatural stuff. Like they say, it was clearly supernatural, but it didn't go like that crazy cthulhu creatures and and like well, the turtle there, was there was there even a turtle moment in the movie in the movie they, they i mean they mentioned the turtle <laughs> right remember they see that there's like oh there's a turtle in the when they're swimming and then there's like uh t- turtle wax and a couple different nods to the turtle um uh, but no we don't get like a big turtle moment I, that's one of those things i don't know how well that would actually translate to the screen like we've talked about that's what that's why i wonder like what we're getting out of chapter two because the, cha- the end of chapter yeah. two ends up being even i think more than that it's it is very like it goes really weird with the spider and like all this other stuff. The end of the end of the mini series. Well, yeah, but I just mean like going into chapter two, like what is that going to look like? Yeah, um, because well, that's a good the- point. So in the in the book, it's he's this massive spider, and I put that in quotations because it was actually more than a spider. It was something else, and it was something spider-like. Yeah, and um, I like the idea that you can take that and reinterpret it, and I think they kind of did in chapter one, and that they had. Remember the scene where all the children are like floating and sort of like hovering in the air? Mm-hmm. It's almost like they were caught in a web. Right. And so I think they're trying, they're doing some nods like that. And in fact, I think they might be pushing it more Lovecraftian because, you know, think about the moment where Pennywise is holding Beverly and he opens up his face and inside there you see, this is like the one moment of the deadlights. Right. I am hoping we're going to get more deadlights yeah. in chapter two. And more Lovecraftian stuff. And and I like the idea of pushing that to more cosmic 
horror places. And I hope they do, even though, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do on film. Um, I hope they try because that was one thing I actually really liked about the miniseries to get back to that. Um, the, in the sewers of the uh, the the moments where the deadlights came for them and it was just this like like light in a tunnel that would like grab one of the bullies and pull him like the way he, like that one bully folded over and got pulled into the into yeah. the pipe like that was disturbing and um, sometimes in some ways even scarier than some of the clown stuff because it was so like uh indescribable i right. guess yeah and the idea of a horrific light that dazzles you and turns your hair white in a moment because it's shown you some terrifying truth of the universe i imagine yeah um you know that that all worked pretty well in the miniseries and i hope we get a touch of that yeah that's the kind of stuff i wonder I, I would love to see like what i don't know i'm just i'm interested to see like Mushi, what Mushietti brings to that that kind of otherworldly stuff but i think we should get into the the miniseries a little more and just talk about like some of the specifics did you have like a least favorite part did you have a part that you wish wasn't in it that that like didn't do anything for uh, you there's a couple of moments that i just found okay one of them in particular was the bizarre um bike riding scene between mike oh my God. and bill at the there's like a montage of them just like having a blast on this bike i also thought you were talking about at the very end where he's just like riding around in the streets and like trying to get uh his wife to come back i mean that didn't work very well but at least that's from the book right <laughs> um mostly i think um no i'm talking about when mike and and bill in the middle of all the stuff that's going on have this like I don't know, 45 second to a minute montage of them just laughing, two adult men riding on this bike, having a great time, at slapping each other on the back. It was like, it was a goofy, it was set to this like really upbeat 90s music. Mm -hmm. It felt like it was from like a sitcom or something. It was very odd. There was a few moments of that where 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 it was like that buddy buddy feeling that they were trying to establish between the, the adults in the restaurant they had that exactly, for a bit. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say with the restaurant, though, I was really into some of this, like they some of the special effects that they went for. I was kind of I, I think there was a lot of effort put into this. And I and I do appreciate it for that reason, because the each of yeah. the little fortune cookie moment, like like things that happened, w that was pretty awesome. Like the, the eyeball and the little the baby bird, whatever it was. Um, that was all from the book, too, man. I think yeah. all of those details were exactly so. So someone really set out to be like, I'm going to capture a lot of the scenes from the book. Right. You know. And exactly. I think I think it's mostly in the in the screenplay because Tommy Lee Wallace has said that um, before filming this he hadn't read the book and then after after re, after filming it and after releasing the miniseries he went back and read it and he says that he feels he feels like they missed the mark he feels like he it, there was a lot more that they could have they could have gotten into interesting and, so I assume the screenwriter had read the book whoever did the adaptation yes itself and then but he as a director had not read it right that's a bad yeah i think that's kind of a mistake and unless you're really trying to distance yourself from something for some reason well like uh, the book, annihilation you know? alex garland was the kind of a similar situation he said like he well he, he read it once though that right, was different yeah. He but read he, it once, yeah. and then he didn't reread it. He only went off of his memory of the book, which yeah. I, I actually think is kind of a fascinating way to go about it. Yeah. But to not read it at all, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would recommend that for for people if they're thinking of adapting something. Like, yeah, you gotta you gotta read it yourself and know what know what you're working with. 
Yeah. Another part that really worked for me uh, that I find actually probably the creepiest part of the movie is okay. there's the two the two blood scenes. The scene where Bill goes and opens up the book and Georgie's photo starts like bleeding and then his parents come yeah. in and they can't see the blood and they like place the book back on the shelf. And then the other one with with Beverly and her father. Yeah. She, she's in the bathroom and the bubble the uh, balloon bursts and there's blood everywhere and he comes in and like rubs her face with the blood on his way out, all that stuff. Yeah. I think all that worked. Right. And and like a lot of that is from the book as well. But that, I think yeah. it looked good on screen. Like I think it, they, they were able to adapt those moments and make them like legitimately, legitimately creepy. There was a, th- a third blood scene, which I thought was kind of funny. And it was the, the library scene where the balloons right. kept popping and exploding blood onto people. Yeah. And what's hilarious about it is if you watch it closely, like every single actor flinches when it happens, <laughs> even though they're not supposed to like be, they're not supposed to be noticing it, but they can't. Um, so every single time they have this like huge flinch when it pops, I don't know, it's funny. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was good. And, and in fact, that, that was another standout moment for me. I should, I should mention where, uh, the, the library Pennywise where, especially when he was like trying, uh, Richie was trying to talk to the librarian at the end of it. And, and Pennywise is just like clowning around behind him, hanging over the railing and doing the noisemaker and like spinning that and. Those were the moments where, like, it seemed like Tim Curry was really going for it. That that stood out as, as some of the best stuff, I think. And I love I love Tim Curry for for that because, like, think about how forgettable this film would have been or this miniseries would have been without Tim Curry going absolute like balls to the wall and just like yeah. like he goes so crazy and so huge in the same way that the actors were going very very like large with their emotions and with those kinds of things they was they weren't the characters to do it and tim curry going large and going crazy really really worked for for pennywise as a character and like all of those moments have turned into to like gifts now and memes and everything uh did you have a yeah i i got a great a funny funny moment how about the moment where uh i think it's uh stan is in the shower and like the shower things are like the rods are like coming out and like chasing him yeah. around the bathroom like that was so bonkers and so <laughs> crazy and then and then yeah pennywise like comes out of the ground and like bursts through the ground i, I mean i i think that that, that that was a scene i mean i guess i could see how it's funny too but i i actually really liked that scene because it felt like that reality bending that we get more of in the book mm-hmm. where pennywise it, it shows how powerful this being is it's not just a, a, an entity that, you know, can be contained. It can also literally change reality in front of you. Mm-hmm. And um, that that makes it... I mean, that's something that, that really works with Pennywise, too, is that he's omnipresent in Derry. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't escape it. And, and you know, like he... Pennywise is at the the dinner in the in the in the uh, fortune cookies. It's it's everywhere, and that sort of inescapable nature is really really frightening. The idea that like if you're in Derry, at least you're not getting away from it. Yeah, I just realized I haven't. You're in really its sp- web, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, I just realized I haven't really s- spoken much about Tommy Lee Wallace. I just want to mention because he is the, yeah. the f- director of this miniseries. Um, He's an American director, writer, producer, and actor. Although having worked in diverse genres, Tommy is probably best known for his contribution to horror films, uh, most most notably many sequels. Early on, he scripted Amityville 2, The Possession, and quickly moved on to both write and direct John Car- the John Carpenter-related Halloween 3. Have you seen Halloween 3? Maybe. Which one's Halloween 3? That's the one that Michael Myers is in. It's like the witch cult thing. 
No, actually, I don't think I have seen okay. it. Okay, it's it's bonkers. And so he directed this. Uh, okay. Which is kind of, I, I mean, I know there's people who love Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. So uh, uh-huh. it's very like cult. I don't know. It has a cult following. Uh, he also directed Fright Night Part 2 and It, which we are now talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, that's interesting. I mean, I can see that he's he's got a... He's got a certain flair that that works for things. Yeah, it's interesting. I think this is his first um, TV movie or like miniseries or anything like that. So I think he, the transition from uh, from film to TV and like back then, especially like the the budget that you're you're being offered and things like that, the the things you're able to actually do on film. I know he was frustrated with that. With like there were so like uh, the final scene, it was storyboarded a certain way. And just based on uh, budget and time and things like that, he they, he was really unhappy with the ending with the spider stuff. Uh, uh, they had like a small model of it where it was much more bulky, I guess, instead of being so like spindly and like skinny. And uh, yeah. and when they mocked it up to full scale, it ended up being really skinny. And just a lot of the a lot of the fight there at the end didn't end up how he wanted it to. So and it it looked real hokey, but yeah. I, I was able to forgive it a little bit because I assume it was budget limitation slash technology at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, I have a few scenes I just want to like touch on um, in, in in moments. Um, for one, I, I think my disappointment with Henry Bowers continued into adulthood. Um, Henry Bowers, the adult, wasn't very frightening to me. He's he was in fact he was more pathetic than anything else. Which you could argue he's pretty pathetic in the book too. But um, I don't know. It, it seemed like even Pennywise didn't really take him seriously mm-hmm. and it was like oh come on dummy come do this thing for me in the book when pennywise gets a hold of henry you're legitimately like worried and and, and you know that the characters are going to be intimidated when they come up against him and he seems yeah. like he's like a force to be like and this guy was kind of just like an older gentleman who's like uh maybe yeah. not a gentleman but he's an older guy who's like who's like coming to get them and like he's gonna have to be sneaky and like stab him out of nowhere somehow seem much older than the rest of our characters which yeah. i know his hair turned white and stuff but right seem much older <laughs> yeah so like i just um, remember like reading the book and being like oh shit like it's gonna go down with henry bowers and then here in the in this miniseries it was very like kind of just it was i think they had it in here because it was in the the, the book and they were trying to do everything as faithfully yeah. as possible well in in the in the book it was it was pointed out that like there's been a, there was a few times where pennywise was trying to affect them and it seemed like the losers club was getting the better of 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 it and so pennywise goes to henry because Henry can do things beyond like you don't have to believe in Henry Bowers for him to be able to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And and so Pennywise is able to use that. And then uh the other the other thing that gets dropped I think is the Tom Rogan stuff. Uh Tom Rogan never never shows up later either. So these like real world bu- bullies, think about the two two more bullies we're bringing back. Um and we we don't really get that. I don't know. So a lot of the teeth of of that in in the adults is omitted here. And I, and I hope we get more of that in, in chapter two. Yeah, I think we definitely will. It was set up. It was definitely set up in the in the first part of the uh, Annie Muschietti film. Uh, what about that moment where uh, <laughs> uh, when Henry Bowers is escaping and the Pennywise turns into a dog head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like a very brief. Like it cuts away immediately because it looks so bad i think mm-hmm. but it's clearly like a dog just like sticking its head through a <laughs> through a costume yeah <laughs> like normal sized dog um that's again like I, that's lifted right out of the book but exactly like, 
in the book it has the head of like a doberman and just imagining a a clown suit with the head of a doberman is terrifying in a book Mm -hmm. but you try and put that on the screen with a real dog it's gonna look real silly and it does (laughs) yeah and i think that that's just what it comes down to is they're like things that they wanted to be specifically adapted from the book and they're like this has uh, this has to be in the film because it was in the book and then yeah when push came to shove it's just about actually getting it done would have taken a lot of a lot of uh more resources i guess dedicated to those specific moments if you wanted them to look good back then and that guard was still named Kuntz, by the way which i want i still wonder we've never gotten feedback to that account but i wonder if there is something to be said for for king naming that guard Kuntz, and if that was some sort of takedown of of Dean Koontz, his contemporary horror writer. I think um, at this point, it's got to be, right? It, it might not have even been necessarily quite a takedown as much as it was like a... You think it was a I takedown? I think they were competing back then more than they are. I mean, I think King has gone on to really solidify his his legacy in a way that Koontz hasn't. But I think at the time, there was a lot of people who would argue between who's better and, and, and that sort of thing. I don't know. I'd just be curious to know if, if anyone's ever been able to find out from King if that was any sort of intentional thing or completely accidental. Yeah. Koontz is such a like unique name. It just feels like it's probably not accidental. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> How about uh, Beverly doing the old no-look shot at the spider at the end? I, I really got to hit this time, so I'm going to hide my eyes. I mean, mm-hmm. looking away from the deadlights, I get it, but just this like blind, no look faith shot, I guess. Yeah. And 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 nailing that carapace. Um, I don't know what that that moment got so over the top that it kind of was hard to to take it seriously. Uh, and I think that's one of the limitations of this movie in general is that I was struggling to take it seriously. Right. Especially, and like I was saying, like for whatever reason, that first half works better for me. It just does. And and the second half, just like, yeah. I don't know if it had to do with like they shot it later and like the budget ran out or what it was, but it just seemed like they were like, all right, now we have all the adults together and they're in a library. And then now they're in a restaurant. And then now let's put them in yeah. the sewer and then it's the end of the movie. And, you know, we're seeing flashes between them and everything, and we see them in different locations. But it just felt like I didn't, I, I don't know, I didn't connect with any of the, the adults as characters, really. Um, but I do want to ask you how you felt, because we were just talking about Bev. How did how did the the assault work for you in, in this film, in the miniseries? Which early, the, When she's, uh, she's, like, trying to get away from her boyfriend or whatever, whoever it is. Oh. Uh, it is Tom and it's just a different Tom Rogan. I think, um, he's sort of in eighties, like, uh, coke head asshole instead of your more classic sort of, um, abusive boyfriend that he is in the, in the book. Um, or husband. I don't know. I think they are married. I can't remember. Anyway. Um, I, I, I think the, the throwing of the perfume and stuff, I think, uh, they do a good job of sort of setting that up as a parallel to the rock, to the rock throwing scene. Mm-hmm. And it works for that way. It was, I mean, it was kind of cheesy the way it was shot where it was like, it would do a very close up of like it bouncing off of his knee and then you go, ah, and fall over. But like you, you could tell that it was very staged shot. Um, there was a little bit of that, but I, I mean, it worked overall. I, I think it's a sanitized version. Once again, when you start stripping away all of the like darker elements to these scenes, I don't know, like they'd kind of lose their teeth in a yeah. way. Does it feel, but does it feel disrespectful when they lose their teeth? Does it feel like you're saying like, you're just trying to hit disrespectful plot points? to what? Just, just basically saying like, okay, she's, she's been a, a victim of abuse and like, they're just trying to say that and then brush over it so that 
and like not deal with it really and just have that be yeah. a part of her character or do you think it, that it's like yeah it feels like they're not engaging with it fully in the way that king does for better or for worse you know whether or not we, we talked about it, like that that section is troubling and um you know there's a lot of troubling stuff in the in that book and you know whether or not you think it's appropriate or or that king should be even be touching on these subjects you know that's up to the individual reader to decide but at the very least you can say that he gives it an unflinching look and we get i mean we get tom rogan's point of view you know we we get into his mind and it's terrifying mm-hmm. and uh yeah, a lot of that fear, a lot of that uh, darkness is kind of omitted um, from from this. And I, part of it's for time, um, which, oh, by the way, I don't know if you saw this in your research, but I heard that this was originally intended to be a full TV series. And then they ended up having to condense it down to this two-part miniseries. No, I didn't see that, but it makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't know like how far along into the production before that was changed. Um, but apparently there are there are a few fragments of it left where there was like dangling story threads being set up that seemed like it was going to be more of like a TV series ongoing TV series thing. And instead, they just dropped it. I wonder what that because that, that's interesting to me. I feel like I think they could have worked pretty well. I think it would have worked better than the miniseries in this case if you had it a yeah. little because it was just it's very long. Uh, you can kind of get away with that more if there's multiple episodes. But because it's two parts here, a lot of it feels like us like when they're, you know, I mean, it, like like we've talked about, a lot of it is just like straight up from the book, dialogue from the book, moments from the book, all being put together. But it, some of it just pacing wise, it just feels really slow and really like it feels like nothing's going on. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, and that, that kind of shows like the trouble of adapting this material, right? Because it's such a massive novel. You know, it's probably I think it is longer than all three Lord of the Rings books combined. You know what I mean? It's, it's a huge novel. And they're trying, you know, trying to put it into one project of any kind is going to be tough. So you have to split it out. And I'm kind of, cur- I'm kind of surprised it hasn't been attempted to be make it to make it into like more of a TV series traditional. But um, when it's all said and done there, the rumor is that there's going to be a final director's cut, special cut of, of it chapter one and two put together, maybe in a fashion that's more similar to the book unconfirmed. Um, but, and the, the combined total is going to be over five hours long, uh, which is, that's like a season of television right there. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I, I hope that, that that'd be really cool to see a cut that's like very similar to the book back and forth. I'd absolutely watch that. I'd watch the hell out of that. Yeah, now. for I'm sure. It. <laughs> um, it, also, budgetary, I think, problems uh, make it so that we don't see as much of Pennywise affecting the town and affecting, like we see him, you know, kill a couple, you know, or off screen, obviously, but it's implied, kill a couple children early on. Uh but beyond that, we're not seeing the like terrorizing of, of, of these children. The, we, don't see, we don't really hear anything about what went on before other than a couple brief mentions of like, oh, there was an explosion at the, you know, the, the, the steelworks, I think it was called, or whatever it was. Um, but we don't, we, I don't know, in the book, you, you get these scenes and the fire at the black spot is such a like crazy occurrence and uh, the axe murders, as I mentioned earlier. And I, I always miss that stuff, and I'm really hopeful that we'll get some of that. And I actually think we might, considering in the trailer we see like a a different version of Pennywise where he doesn't have all the the uh, makeup on. Yeah, I found so that. So I'm really, really curious to see if they're going to do something different with the origin here, and if it's going to be tied to that. That it could be the like uh, I think it was Mr. Gray 
Bill Gray or something like that. There was like a um, name, yeah. And he had like a he had passed away or he took his name that or was something. The, um, that was it's the it's like I think it is the the woman who uh, Beverly meets as an adult. Yeah, yeah, that's is telling is. the story mm-hmm. of her father. Um, and it, I mean, obviously that scene is in the new one that's in the trailer. So I'm curious if they're going to touch on that and maybe try and expand on what that means and who who this gray mr gray was so i'm assuming if i like when i finish all of our episodes i'll remember more but just remind me what he kind of his like potential origin was something to do with like he was he was a clown in the town or something like that and then like I, i i always got the impression that it was I mean, because it we we see in the smoke hole scene, which is omitted from every adaptation we've seen so far. But the mm-hmm. smoke hole vision, where they're transported back in time, when they see the arrival of it as like a comet right, crashing yeah. to Earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we know it, we know it's been around a long, long time. But I always got the impression that maybe the the sort of imprint of the clown came from this. I think Bob Gray is actually the name of Bob mm-hmm. Gray character. I, I have a feeling that Bob Gray was a clown that that got sort of like imprinted on to Pennywise in some way, or, or Pennywise chose that like really liked that form and found it effective. What the story behind Bob Gray is, I, I don't think has ever really been told. And so I'm curious to see if it, if it will be. Um, I, I also heard a rumor and, and I'll definitely, we need to do some more research on this, but potentially there has been additional scenes written for it. Chapter two that by Stephen King that was not in the original novel. Wow, that would be cool. That he's gone back and, and maybe added some. And I wonder if some of the stuff he might have added would, would be sort of this like history of, of Pennywise kind of stuff or yeah. or an additional ending scene. I don't know. I'm I'm very curious to see. With with Stephen King's involvement and with the kind of this like craze that we're seeing right now with Stephen King material, I'm wondering if I we can talk about this more after we see the second part of the new the new series the new Andy Muschietti films. But yeah. I'm wondering if we see like them start to try to do like a combined universe and like Andy Muschietti like produces on some some other director's film as they cr- kind of start right. to build out the universe and connect things. And further on this year, we're going to be covering Dr. Sleep. And that would be something if there was some sort of connection between these two movies, that would be uh, really now, exciting. Now, the thing that I w- I'm going to look into before our next episode is who like what studios own the rights to what stories, because that's that's the main thing that would prevent it, them from being able to create like kind of the the macroverse that they would want to is that I'm sure that yeah. they're owned by all kinds of different studios. What would that be? The SKEU? <laughs> the SK Extended Universe? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. SKU. I don't even like EU. Drop SKU. the yeah. Skew. SKU. Skew. <laughs> Skew. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, that's definitely something we should keep an eye out for because I mean King does it in his books, and that's something we're aware of, and we're starting to pick up on a little bit with you know the stuff we've covered so far. But and I'm not necessarily saying that like I co-sign that, and I'm like really into like a SKU like whole like spinoff. They're trying to do a Marvel Cinematic Universe thing. Um, I think they could do it, and it could be really cool. But there's also something at the same time where I like the idea of them being like, like I hate the idea of them having to like thread things in, change the change the artist's intention just to you know to make the movies fit and line up together and everything, uh, as effectively as I feel like the MCU has done it. I think it, it's just like uh, you can you can you know really get what the artist intends from the or the director whoever uh, from their individual standalone film. And you know honestly, I think it's it's also. But on the other hand, you know this is. It Chapter One, the highest grossing rated R film of all time, I believe, when it came out, right? 
and this potentially has the chance to to top it with chapter two um and so clearly Muschietti has touched on something that really works and and you're gonna as a as a studio green light another project and try and capitalize and go like oh you liked this Stephen King adaptation he did and, and as long as he's game they're gonna want him to do more and I think there I, I believe there might even be some talks of that where where he's gonna direct some more stuff I haven't I don't remember off the top of my head but yeah I want to say that I read a report recently that he's producing on on another Stephen King project so he may be yeah. like kind of helping shepherd that and he's got to and, and, and he's gonna continue to do that and I think that in, in some ways is like you can look at it and say like, oh, that's just Hollywood being Hollywood. But like in other ways, it's smart. It's like clearly he's got something figured out that works. Right. And so why not lean on lean on? That? Yeah. I mean, if it turns into as as well handled as something like the MCU, of course, I'm excited to see a Stephen King universe all combined. And maybe eventually we could get Dark Tower to explain everything. And, you know. Yeah. But then again, like, I don't know, I'm back and forth because I do like I, well, I, Dark Tower I, series is, is happening. We, we talked about, you know, the, the right. TV series. So. But I just wonder if it will be connected. Yeah. But I also will it be connected? Um, by the same know. by the same thing. I also like the idea. I, I don't want to be like this is Pennywise and this is where it comes from. And this is The Shining. And this is exactly why this happened. Like, I think some of this stuff with the mystery kind of like helps my appreciation for these projects and things like that. Yeah. Sometimes knowing too much can can kind of make you feel like oh, I, I like the mystery sure well is there anything else let's let's refocus on the mini series before we leave it behind completely for for chapter two um is do you have any other points you wanted to touch on any other observations about about this classic mini series uh before we move on most of it is just that i i i, I don't think i'd ever seen it all the way through before i know i'd seen parts here and there um i was surprised at how much i was invested uh, and i did enjoy it for the I think and I think it is just because of the love for the source material and the nostalgia for the project at this point how much it means to our podcast uh, yeah. because of the beginning and and how it's come all the way to this point but I I did enjoy it and like I was interested in seeing this version of it it was fun um, you know with all the things all the blemishes that we've talked about it still it still was like an interesting and fun watch uh, however yeah. long it actually was you know it was very long is what I'm trying to say <laughs> but. Yeah, it felt and it felt long, and, and because of I think the blemishes like we talked about. But yeah, I feel like I have a more complete understanding of the zeitgeist surrounding it because this is such a important piece of it. And that, I had never seen it at all. I realized watching it, like the only thing I'd ever seen was like some of the gifts of Pennywise. I'd probably seen some clips back in the day um, of of Tim Curry as Pennywise, I should say. But I'd never watched the whole movie or mm-hmm. the whole miniseries. And, and yeah, now I have. And so now I can appreciate that. And I, maybe I'll be able to appreciate uh, if, if Andy Muschietti is doing any direct nods to the miniseries. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll be able to pick up on that now. So so, so something else kind of just came to me that it may upset some people. But I think it, with good, I'm saying this with good intentions, but the... Uh, Another famous clown duo of people who were performers was Jack Nicholson as as the Joker onto Heath Ledger as the Joker, and I think that like without Jack Nicholson's Joker, you're not you don't get to you don't get to um, Heath Ledger's Joker, and I think in right. the same way Tim Curry was definitely like instrumental in us getting this Skarsgård representation of of Pennywise. That's a great point, and honestly, something we probably should have said earlier. <laughs> I think you're you're right. You're right on with that. It, you know, as much as we're in, appreciating the Skarsgård performance, um, 
Tim Curry has a lot to do with that, and and because this was an iconic portrayal, and uh, you know, while you can say like, okay, but they're going back to the source material anyway, and they're you know Pennywise is in the book, and he is, but uh, yeah, I think I think you have to nod to that and say there's a definite connection connection there and a definite um, influence between those two versions, and yeah, I, I I totally agree. I think it's important to recognize sort of the historical uh, antecedent to the scars guard pennywise definitely all right man uh i think we should probably wrap it up about here uh we want to go ahead and thank a brand new patron that we have that we got uh teresa uh thank you for becoming a patron we hope you enjoy our bonus content which we just released another episode of recently and that is uh an episode covering jaws part two which was a movie you had never seen i got to revisit um and we got to talk about that on our bonus content so if you'd like to check that out uh, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film connect with us on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram all of those at ink to film and make sure to join our council of inklings that we post polls in there and and adaptation news and anything else that uh that kind of seems like it's related to the podcast so definitely join that and and become a part of that community yeah and speaking of that we haven't given this a shout out uh, of late on the podcast but i want to uh our goodreads book club is actually been picking up some steam of late. We've got some more people posting on there. Um, I created dedicated threads to each project where people can go in and weigh in about, you know, if you want to talk about sharp objects, you want to talk about good omens, any, any name it, any project that we've done, I created a thread for it. And we're starting to get some steam on there. So I'd like to see some other people join up. If you are a Goodreads member and you use Goodreads, it's easy. Just search for Ink to Film Book Club and you'll find us and you should absolutely join up. If you'd like to help out the podcast without being a patron, you could leave a, late, a rating or review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. Um, we've been getting some new reviews recently. I think we just got one, uh, which is really yeah. exciting. And, and we appreciate those because it does help to uh, spread the word for the podcast. Yeah, every little bit helps. Um, also, just telling a friend, telling someone you know that reads, it, you think might be interested in this, or even someone you know who just likes watching movies uh, and maybe could be curious about what goes on with the books that they're being adapted from. Let them know. Um, we also wanted to thank Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music and Jennifer Delazana for providing our transcripts. All right. Well, this has been, this has been really fun, man. It's, I can't believe we're in the middle yeah. of this nostalgic journey right now. And, yeah. uh, I think we've set the stage for yeah. our, our dancing clown moment we're going to have next week. <laughs> I can't wait, man. I cannot wait to see this movie. And with hopefully, uh, everybody's homes are okay with this hurricane and everything, but yeah, with the looming, yeah. with the looming hurricane and, and the movie coming out and all the creepiness, I've I've kind of explained that's associated with this at yeah. this point. I'm I am excited to go see this movie and like experience it and and really yeah. uh, dive in. Here we are at the end of the episode. Do you want to give us a uh, a Pennywise impression, a Tim Curry Pennywise impression? <laughs> oh man, uh, <laughs> no one's listening at this point. They've all checked out. I don't even know if I can remember <laughs> a, li- a specific line that I'd like to deliver. You know, I, I do want to mention as I as I give this okay. impression. I like the interesting, like the difference in inflection to the you'll float too stuff. So the, yeah, yes, yes, Georgie, down here you'll float too. And he kind of rides. He's like you'll float. <laughs> yeah, one time, like I don't know, it's it's funny. All right, there it is. We uh, we shouldn't quit our day jobs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>